0: Let's turn to God's Word now. We're in the book of Mark, and we've been, uh, if you're just joining us, we are at the kind of the beginning of uh, a series in Mark, and we're in chapter 4 now of Mark, where we're going to look at the first time in Mark where Jesus tells a parable. Now, Jesus did, uh, he did a decent amount of just kind of straight-ahead teaching that would have sounded kind of like the way that I preach, probably, though it would have been in a different language. Um, but he also did a lot of teaching through stories. He would tell stories that were meant to teach. And this is really one of the first and one of the most important parables, those stories meant to teach. And it's about what does it mean for us to grow as Christians? What does Christian growth look like? What does it look like for you and I as followers of Christ and anyone to either come to know Jesus for the first time or to grow in their knowledge of him? So if you've got a Bible open, turn to Mark chapter 4. It's also printed in your bulletin for you. Other seed fell along rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had, since it had no depth of soil. Then when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and they choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seed fell into good soil and produced grain, and growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, "'He who has ears, let him hear.' And then when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, "'To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven.' And then he said to them, his disciples, "'Do you not understand this parable?' How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. Is that when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy. But they have no root in themselves. And they endure for a short while. But then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among the thorns, and they are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that are sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, even a hundredfold. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your word, and we uh, thank you for this parable that Jesus tells. Um, Lord, we pray that you would be cultivating the soil of our hearts even now to hear your word, so that we might receive it with joy, that we might receive it and bear fruit. Lord, speak to us through your spirit as you have promised to do, and let the meditations of all of our hearts and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Those uh, who know me know I like coffee. Uh, And, you know, if you, um, some would say, you know, the pinnacle of coffee brewing is Italy. And the Italians kind of have this this mantra about what it means to make good coffee, and particularly espresso. And they say it needs three things. You need three things in order to make good espresso. And um, I'm going to say it in Italian, although I don't speak Italian, so um, just be warned. Uh, La miscola. La machina and la mano. Those are the three things they need. That is the blend, the machine, and the hand. And all of these things have to go together. right? The blend is actually the beans, the coffee beans, and how they are blended, how they are roasted, where they are grown. If you don't have the right beans, then everything else is not going to work well. But even if you have the right beans and you're using kind of a crummy machine to try and make espresso, you probably won't make very good espresso. And even if you have the right beans and you have a really good machine but you don't know what you're doing, then you also probably will not end up with very good espresso. You have to have the right beans, the right machine, and the right person who's doing it. That's what actually creates good coffee. Now Jesus actually breaks this parable down into three parts as well. And they all kind of work together as well. If we're going to understand what it means to grow, and that's really, again, the question that we're asking this morning, what does it mean to grow as a Christian? Then we need to understand all three of these elements. And for Jesus, these elements are the soil, the seed, and the sower. The soil, the seed, and the sower. That's what Jesus talks about in this parable. So we're just going to look at those three and dig into those. Let's talk about the soil first. Jesus says that a sower or a farmer, maybe your translation says, goes out to sow seed. Now think about this, you know, of course, um, nowadays when we go to farm, it's done with huge machinery. But then someone would have actually walked his fields with a bag that had some grain, some seeds, and been throwing that grain out along the, uh, you know, into into the field so that it would grow. And Jesus says that as this farmer is going and throwing the seed around, that it lands in different places. And the first place that it lands is is on a pathway. Think if you're doing this maybe in your yard, and you throw it and it lands on a sidewalk. Well, what happens when it lands on a sidewalk, of course, is the seed just kind of bounces. You know, it bounces off the concrete and it rolls away. And in this parable, the same thing that probably would happen in our yard is a bird comes and swoops it up and takes it away. The second... Soil that Jesus talks about is how he, said, he says it's rocky ground. And the seed falls in the rocky ground. And what I've learned just through reading a little bit, I, I am no horticulturalist, but uh, that rocky ground is interesting. It's not really good for growing things, mostly because it's not very good at temperature stability. Because the rocks hold temperature differently than the soil does. The rocks actually heat up faster than the soil. And so what happens is a seed falls into rocky ground and the sun comes out and the sun heats up the rocks and the seed thinks, oh, it's warm. It's time to sprout. It's time to bloom. And so because of the warmth of the rocks, it actually blooms too early. But then what happens? That same sun that heated up the rocks that made it bloom scorches it because there's no roots. And instead of actually growing down into the earth to find deep and good roots, it blooms really quickly and then it burns out just as fast. And then the third soil is actually something I do have experience with and that's weeds and thorns. You've probably all experienced this if you've ever planted anything. You try to plant something and you think, great, everything looks really nice right now. It's just kind of regular dirt. I'm waiting for the one thing that I planted to come up. And instead, like 50 things that you didn't plant come up all around it. And you can't even see the thing that you planted and there's no fruit and there's no beauty and there's no nothing because it's all weeds. And thorns, and they just kind of choke out the growth of the good thing. And then the fourth category, of course, Jesus says is good soil. And in that good soil, there's roots that are deep, and there's flourishing, and there's fruit, and there's a harvest. Now, usually, in parables, we're kind of left wondering, okay, great, nice story, what does it mean? Jesus does us a huge favor in this one because his disciples were asking the same thing and Mark records Jesus' answer for us. He tells them what he means and he says, well the first is the seed that is sown the word of God that goes out and is sown on a path and that path is the human heart a human heart that is oftentimes very hard. And as the word of God comes in and, is, um, and, and we come in contact with it, if our hearts are hard, it's going to bounce off just like it would on concrete, on a path, on a sidewalk. Uh, the, the word that we oftentimes use for this is, is skepticism. Skepticism about who Jesus is, about what God's word is. It's a closing off and a hardening of our hearts. But but I want you to think about this really quickly. When we hear the word skeptic, we oftentimes think of them. We oftentimes think of the people who are kind of outside, who aren't really in church, you know. But if you remember last week, the people, the one of the main characters that show up so often when Jesus is around are the Pharisees or the scribes. They are religious skeptics. They're the people who are insiders, who are in church all the time, who know the Bible backwards and forwards, but when something actually comes to challenge them, their hearts are as hard as a concrete path. We can do that as well. We can play the game. We can check all the boxes. We can do all the things. But really, when Jesus starts to press into us, instead of softening our heart, we actually respond by hardening. And we push him back, and that word bounces off just like it would on a concrete path. And it's gobbled up, and it does no good at all. The second is kind of this rocky path, where it flares up really quickly and then dies out. You've probably seen this as well. Maybe you've seen it in your own heart, where there's a big emotional response. This is the, the, the mountaintop experience, right? The thing that you had maybe at camp one week. Or you had some wonderful experience where it just felt like for a good 36 hours, all you cared about was Jesus. But then because it actually was only driven by emotion, and there was no truth to deepen it, there was no real teaching, it just kind of slowly died out. The third category is the one that may be the most confusing for us. It's actually hard to tell in category two and three if Jesus is even talking about Christians or not. We're not really sure. But it's also the category that's the most prevalent in our society. We live in the Bible Belt, friends. We live in a place where people are going to play the Christian game and we're going to engage in it. But so oftentimes what happens is that what Jesus says is the cares of the world the deceitfulness of wealth, the things that look so enticing around us just become more and more and more important in our lives, and Jesus becomes less important. I think that there is a correlation between a couple of things. Okay, uh, Researchers will tell you that 15 years ago, the f- faithful Christians attended church just over three times a month. When they surveyed, they would say, how often do faithful Christians attend worship? And it was just over three times a month. That same survey today comes back at just under two. Again, this is, this is faithful Christians. It's just under two. It has plummeted quite a bit. I'm not telling you this because I want you to be in church to boost my ego. Um, although I would not put that past me. Uh, I'm just telling you uh, what the research says. And the other research that you will read is that our society is actually one who has let go more and more to Jesus. We've, we've become to let go over and over to the things that are true. And cling more tightly to the things that we think are going to fulfill us. Things like more control in my life. Things like a better image for those around me. Things like the way that I look needs to be accepted by everybody. Things like the trappings of wealth and power in my life. They become more and more important to us. I do believe there is a correlation. So here's the application point for us. Is that, actually, before we we do that, let me read you this quote. This is, I think, helpful. This comes from a guy named Bill Moore uh, in an essay he wrote. But this is what he's talking about, this parable, and this is what he says. He says, Rarely, if ever, does anyone in the Bible Belt ever stand up and declare one day, I'm a thorny ground hearer. The worries of this world and the cares of this life have destroyed my soul and revealed that I was never actually in Christ, but have been a lukewarm sham the whole time. I'm lost. I'm not a Christian. But that's the point. Thorny ground hearers rarely think they are thorny ground hearers. Their state is revealed slowly, sadly, and they are the last to know. It's like the shrubs in front of a house that have never been pruned. One day they are so large that you realize, Great Scott, these bushes have become taller than the roof, and they look awful. How did we not see this before? You see what he's saying about just the creeping, easy just um, uh, very subtle ways that we so oftentimes embrace other things that we put at the center of our lives that make us feel like we have worth and value and importance. And in doing so, we gently release Jesus as the one who should be in that place. So what's the answer for us? Let's do just a little bit of application here. What's the answer? Well, I've said this before, but there are four things that God gives us that are really normal things. And it's this, and it may appear above my head here in just a second. Till the soil of your hearts with God's word, with worship, with prayer, and with his people. Here's what's so wonderful about Christianity. There's no kind of far-off thing that you have to travel to or unearth some mystery that nobody else has ever seen or achieve some sort of enlightenment in, in order to get it, in order to grow. What God has actually said to us is, if you want to grow in knowing who I am, if you want to grow in the deeper understanding of my grace, here's some regular stuff. Here's my word that I've given to you. We have it in in the Bible, printed for us. We live in a day and age where we actually can have it printed and disseminated. We can go out and buy it. We can own it. If you don't have a Bible, I'd love to give you one. We have God's word that we can open in our homes. It's a beautiful privilege. Worship is that other thing, and we talked about even just kind of that correlation between the thorny ground and the lower attendance in worship. Because when we come to worship, it does something to us. One of our values here about worship is that we want worship to be expressive, we want to express what's in our hearts, but we also think that worship is formative. It forms our hearts. When we come and we sing good songs and we hear from God's word and we gather together and we eat from His table, the Spirit works in us. That's just what God says is true. And then, third, prayer. God has said, if you want to talk to me, here I am. Pray. He has opened the lines of communication. And the fourth is His people. As we get together with each other, as we spend time around each other, as we encourage each other, as we do all of this word and worship and prayer together, God works on us. He works to till that soil. It's like the Holy Spirit taking a sledgehammer to that concrete around our hearts and breaking it up. The more we open his word, the more that we get together with each other, the more that we are transformed in worship, the more time we spend in prayer. It's the Holy Spirit pulling weeds and pulling up rocks and tilling the soil for good things to happen in our hearts. It's really kind of a beautiful irony, isn't it? That when we engage in God's word, it actually promotes better soil for hearing God's word. It's kind of circular, but that's the way it is. So there's the first piece of application I give you. Till the soil of your hearts through God's Word, through worship, through prayer, and His people. All right, let's look at the second element in this passage here, and that's the seed. The seed, Jesus says to us, is the Word of God. The sower sows the Word, the seed is the Word of God, and that seed goes out. And when we talk about the Word of God, we talk about not only the Bible as God has given it to us, but even also the gospel message. The message that Jesus has done something for us that we can't do on our own. The message that the way to be united to God is not through our activity, but through what Jesus has done. And receiving that by faith is what unites us to God. That's the gospel message, the good news. And God has given us that good news and his word to change and transform us. And Jesus says that actually, as we are transformed, that word goes out. That seed is spread. Now think just for a second about who Jesus is talking to here. He's talking to his disciples who he has gathered and he has said, I want you to come and proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God with me. I want you to follow me, but we're joining in in this proclamation together. When we get to the end of the Gospels, after Jesus' death and resurrection, he explicitly sends them out and he says, Now go and bear witness about me and take this message to the ends of the earth. And here, before he does that... I think in a very kind way, one of the things that Jesus says is, you just kind of need to know how it's going to be. Because sometimes when that word goes out from your lips, sometimes you're going to think this is the person who is so ripe to hear the gospel message. And you know what? It's going to fall on rocky ground. And it's going to bounce off their hearts. Or it's going to spring up really fast and then you're going to be disappointed. Sometimes your word is going to be received well, but it's going to be choked out. But sometimes it's going to fall into fertile soil. And when it does, guess what? There is going to be what uh, Jesus says here, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold harvest. Okay, we pass over those things because we don't live in an agrarian society. But if you know farming at all, you know that that's crazy numbers. Nobody reaps 100-fold harvest. But this is what Jesus says, is that you know what I'm doing, is that sometimes even though you don't really know exactly what's happening, sometimes you will see fruit that you've never seen before. And it will be amazing, and you will be blown away by it. I had a seminary professor tell a story of, of going and planting some tomato vines in his backyard. And he had kind of carved out this great little um, bed for the tomatoes and he had planted them. And when he finished, he had kind of finished planting everything and he still had some seeds. And he just kind of did that. He threw them and they landed underneath the deck. He said, the, the vines that I had planted were pretty good. And I got some tomatoes out of those. He said, but the vine that sprung up under my deck after having just been discarded, ended up being 9 feet wide and 3 feet tall. He said, I estimate getting about 200 tomatoes off of that vine. That's crazy, wonderful fruitfulness that comes sometimes out of nowhere, and we're not even sure what to do with it. So what do we do? What's the takeaway for that? Well, I think it's this, is that we are called to get to know people so that we might be able to see where the gospel seeds are taking, uh, taking root in their lives. So that we might get to know others, so that we might celebrate when the gospel is starting to take root in their lives. So that we might encourage and come alongside them when they are coming to faith. So that we might actually help them along when they need teaching. So that we might give a gentle push when there is error. But friends, I want you to listen to this really closely. You won't be able to see the fruit of the gospel springing up in the hearts of your friends and neighbors if you don't know them well. We actually have to know people at a level that we may not be comfortable knowing people. You will not see gospel fruit arise and be able to celebrate that fruit and walk alongside them with it if all that you ever talk about is your golf game or the the, the weekly gossip. You'll not be able to do that if all that you ever talk about is the stock market or even if all you ever talk about is your kids' activities. You actually have to bring it down to a deeper level to know what somebody is about. To know what are the things that actually make me afraid? What are the things that make me insecure? What are the things that I wrestle with at a deep level every day? And how is the Lord actually changing those things in my heart? Because once we get to see that, once we get to see that little glimpse, we see, oh my goodness, look, the Holy Spirit is at work in your heart. That's incredible. Let's celebrate that together. Let me help you as we walk alongside seeking the Lord even more fully in that. So how do you do that? Well, the answer is easy, um, but it's hard to do. You just ask good questions for people. You ask people deeper questions that start to get down into what it is that they really hold dear You ask them questions, and here's a really simple one. You can simply ask people, instead of saying, um, hey, how's it going? You could say, tell me the best thing that happened to you this week. What was the hardest thing about this week? And you start to actually reveal some of the deeper things, some of the things that will open up a view for you of what is God doing in their lives? Where is that seed actually beginning to take root? And then we get to come alongside people and encourage them in that. Help walk beside them. Guide them. Celebrate with them. Alright, here's the third thing. And we're going to close with this. The last piece that Jesus talks about is the sower. And Jesus doesn't name who the sower is, but I think we can infer who it is that sends out the Word of God. It is God Himself. It is the Lord who is sowing. And... We just pass by this so quickly. But just just pause on this for a second with me. A sower went out to sow. Like those words are the most important words in this parable. The farmer actually took the initiative to go and sow the seeds of the gospel. You know, you could summarize the entire story of the Bible really with that phrase. A sower went out to sow. You open up God's word and you see nothing and then you see God move. You see God move and take initiative. And he creates mankind and he is sowing his beauty in the earth. And he wants it to fill the earth and he wants it to flourish. And then we get to chapter 3 of Genesis and man rebels. And guess what? After that, a sower goes out to sow. And continues his mission to renew and redeem and reclaim You get to Genesis chapter 6 and you hear these words that that all all of the thoughts of mankind's hearts were wicked all of the time. That's what we get to right before we hear about Noah. And you know what? In light of that even, the sower goes out to sow. He goes to work to redeem and renew and reclaim what has been lost. When Moses comes down from Mount Sinai, having just spoken to God and received the law, and he finds all of Israel throwing a party to an idol, in light of that, God still moves forward. The sower still goes out to sow. When Solomon's sons divide the kingdom, the sower still goes out to sow. When God's people land in exile in Babylon, the sower is still at work. He is sowing seeds of the gospel. When his son comes to earth and is crucified, God is not finished. He is sowing the gospel seeds and Jesus is resurrected. When Nero is trying to extinguish Christianity altogether, the sower is still at work. And friends, even now as we turn on the TV and we see terrible things all of the time, the sower is still at work sowing the seeds of the gospel. He's doing so in ways where it's bearing fruit that we could not even understand. I I heard someone quote a study today that by 2030, by 2030 there will be more Christians in China than any other country in the world. Christianity is illegal in China. (laughs) The state religion is atheism. But by 2030 there will be more Christians there than in any country in the world. God is at work. He is at work in amazing ways that oftentimes we can't even get our heads around. And if He is at work in those ways, if He is at work in ways that can overcome the sin of Adam, that can overcome the sin of His people throughout history, that can overcome the oppressive regimes in this world that have shown up all of the time and the Gospel have still gone out, if God can sow the seeds of the Gospel through all of that, then He can sow it in our hearts He can sow it in the hearts of our friends and our relatives and our neighbors. This is the simple truth that I want you to take away. We as his people can rejoice that God is at work. He will not stop. He has not stopped. He won't stop until he has finished his mission of making all things new. Of redeeming the hearts of of men and women. And of bringing about the completion of this wonderful salvation project. That's the God that we worship. A sower who goes out to sow those seeds. A sower who's actively at work breaking up hard hearts like yours and mine. A sower who is actively at work pulling up the weeds that so oftentimes choke us out. A sower who loves us. Who wants to see our hearts be fertile places where we might produce fruit for him. Will you pray with me that He would continue to do that in our hearts and through us in this city? Let's pray that now. Lord, this is uh, this is wonderfully encouraging news. Just to open this parable and to read that you're at work. Lord, it's because you're at work... That we get to come alongside others and celebrate where those seeds are being sown in their lives. It's because you're at work that we get to come along even in challenge when we need to. It's because you're at work that we get to come and proclaim this good news so that people might turn and believe. It's because you're at work, Lord, that we can even begin to till the soil in our hearts through engaging your word, being in worship, in prayer, being around your people. But it's because you're at work that we have hope of growth at all. Thank you for sowing. Thank you, Lord, for being at work. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.